Welcome to Creative Spirits Unleashed, where we talk about the dilemmas of balancing work and life. And now, here's your host, Lynn Carnes. Welcome to Creative Spirits Unleashed podcast. I'm Lynn Carnes, your host. My guest for this episode is Mary Connedy Sullivan. This was an incredibly special episode, unlike any I've done before. Mary is the author of a book titled Nudges from the Other Side. It is the story that she shares from her journal entries, along with a lot of poetry and her own thoughts of losing her son, Aaron, at the age of 20. It's not only a heartbreaking story, but it's also an uplifting story. You'll understand that as you listen to this podcast. And as I start to tell you about listening to this podcast, I want to mention something that she describes also at the beginning, but Mary has a voice condition that makes it uh, makes her voice not as smooth as mine, for example, or yours. And so in this particular conversation, you'll listen with both ears, but you'll be glad you are listening very carefully to what she has to say because Mary has a lot to say. Let me read you her bio. Here's what she says. When asked to provide biographical information, Mary's first sentence typically is, I'm a mom. To say that Aaron was and is important to her is an understatement. She considers him her foremost gift and trusts that in providing his and her story to readers, they too will receive a gift. Mary grew up in a small Midwestern town and enjoyed an active outdoor life during an era when life was slower and simpler. A self-described lifelong learner, Mary was encouraged and unrestricted by her parents to read anything and everything that interested her. Her love for words, language, and stories persists to this day. After college, Mary spent 41 years in financial services where she held roles in sales, leadership, and as an executive leading learning and development teams for Fortune 500 firms. She has a BA in psychology and has recently graduated with highest honors from the Funeral Directors Program at Fayetteville Technical Community College. Mary successfully completed all of her state board exams and became a licensed North Carolina Funeral Director in September of 2023. Mary lives on a small farm in North Carolina with her husband and their three horses, three dogs, and three cats. In her spare time, Mary enjoys reading, gardening, water skiing, sketching, riding, and horseback riding. I hope you enjoy this podcast with Mary Connedy Sullivan. Mary, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. I'm so glad you're here. I um, I feel like the way that we started this conversation around the podcast is fitting for what I believe our topic today is going to be, which is your book, Nudges from the Other Side. It's also, though, really, I think I, I, I'm sensing that the, the theme of that, well, for not sensing that the theme of that book, the theme of that book, Nudges from the Other Side, is really about noticing the synchronicities and things that are happening in life that we often let go by as if it's no big deal or we write off to be in a, a coincidence. And you happened to reach out to me about doing this podcast um, just as I had the question, I wonder who I'm going to have on my next podcast as these other three guests are not ready yet. <laughs> so my question is, um, we 
we share a background in banking. We worked at the same bank, I, I remember, um, where everything sort of had to be proven and concrete and tangible. We both come from that world. What has it taken for you to begin to notice the, the unseen? Well, Lynn, thank you. I love that question. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, you know, before we even begin, I do want to share with your listeners that I have a lot of wake-up calls, and a lot of them happened fairly early in life, one of which actually happened at the institution that you and I both worked at. We didn't know each other then. Yeah. We came to know each other both years after we worked there. Yeah. But um, I was running their mutual fund wholesaling um, group. I had a large, you know, group of uh, people that worked for me. And a lot of our work was done over the phone. And one day I was actually interviewing somebody over the phone. And I noticed that my voice began to break. And I thought, what was that? Who did that? I'm not mm -hmm. nervous. I know this person. I want this person to come work for me. What is going on? And so I passed it off and I thought, you know, I'm tired. That's all it is. And a few days later, it happened again. And then it began, began happening with more and more frequency. And I literally remember the very last conversation I ever had where my voice was fluid like yours and 99.9% .9 of the people in the world. Mm -hmm. And I learned that I had some rare neurological disorder that um, affected my vocal cords. I have perfectly healthy vocal cords, but there's something in my brain signaling them <clears throat> to not open and shut the way yours and almost everyone else in the world does. Mm -hmm. And so you want to talk about below and learning, beginning to learn that I better wake up and become aware of some unseen things around me, listen to the universe, lean into my difficulties. And I will tell you that I walked around for years with this voice condition, feeling less than everyone else and not speaking up when I should have. And yet, you know, these great people that I worked with before um, still believed in me, kept me going. But I think, you know, looking back on it, I wasted a lot of time worrying. Hmm. And now I'm at a spot in life, I'm retired now, which gave me the space to write this book that I wrote. But all of a sudden, I'm in this headspace where I've got more time to listen to the unseen. And all of a sudden, I'm like, you know what? Help it anyway. I don't even care anymore. <laughs> because, you know, almost everyone has said to me, you know, once I get used to the cadence of your voice, I can understand everything that you're saying. My husband, my sweet dear husband says, I don't even hear it anymore, mm -hmm. you know. So there you go. I wasted a lot of time worrying about something that 
I should have just said, look, this is it. This is what I've got. Everybody's got something they're dragging around with them. And so head head on, move on and, you know, quit worrying and wasting time over it. Well, you know what I find really impressive is that you said earlier, I didn't speak up or I felt less than and as you know, in the world that we came from, and it's not just at that organization, but many organizations, helping people, especially women, find their voice mm-hmm. is a thing because there's almost an, a culture of we only want to hear your voice if your voice supports my ego or my plan or my way of doing things. Mm-hmm. And I think of the many ways that it, those insecurities, because that's all that is, is a deep insecurities, mm-hmm. are interference to getting really good work done. And so I can imagine how difficult it was in that kind of environment. And it sounds like you had a really supportive boss, though, to physically lose your voice, not metaphorically lose it, mm-hmm. and still come through the other side. What did you, what kind of strength did you have to find inside of yourself to be able to do that? Well, I often didn't. And so, you know, I will share with you that there were many times when I was literally in a big boardroom with all the executives that um, were my internal clients. I ran the training and development group for the bank's private bank. And so I was responsible for training 4,000 people, my team and I. And I was expected in those board meetings. And I can remember many times sitting there thinking, I don't think that's right, or I have a different idea. But it was so intimidating being in that, you know, 35th floor, mm-hmm. New York, in a walnut boardroom in a leather chair with a microphone in front of me. I literally felt like Roseanne, Roseanne Dana. If anyone remembers the old Saturday Night Live skit where she's a little girl in this gigantic chair. Yes. <laughs> I kind of wanted to run out of the room and go suck my thumb. And so, you know, sometimes I didn't get over it quite frankly. And those were my missed opportunities. And I think if we could chart my trajectory yeah, I did well. I ended as an executive. I made great money. It gave me the freedom to do and explore a lot of other things later on in life and, and even in the moment. But I think I missed a lot of opportunities. Where those would have taken me, I don't know. Maybe I would have been, you know, the bitch on wheels executive woman that squashes everyone else. I, I don't really know. I'd like to think I wouldn't be. I'd like to think I would remain true to what I always believed is that I needed to be a servant leader and take care of the people on my team because by doing that, I knew they would take care of me. Yeah. But the long story short is sometimes I did find my voice and a lot of times I didn't, but I felt really, really comfortable leading my team. And I felt really comfortable surrounding myself with good people and quickly cutting bait if I made a mistake and brought someone on that wasn't working out. And in that way, 
that team was what took us to sort of, you know, the work Super Bowl year in and year out. And I can remember the executive of a private bank at the time um, walking up to me in a different boardroom where I was leading the meeting. We were creating um, an executive training program. And I just remember him walking up during the break and putting his arms on my shoulders and saying, you know, I think we have the best training programs on the street. And that felt really pretty darn good. I think those sorts of moments and my team put the wind in my sails that when I did hit the tall drums, I was able to sort of go, all right, I'm a little bit humiliated and ashamed of myself right now. But if I don't pick up myself up and move on, there isn't going to be anybody else magically swooping in to do that in this world. Again, you it sounds like you had an amazing team. And I love hearing stories about people believing in each other in an environment that is really can be cutthroat. Like you said, I could have become a bitch on wheels executive. And that was an environment where there were bitch on wheels. I think I was one of them. <laughs> I talk about being I a lot. <laughs> bank bitch, you know. Um, I had I I was uh I had a podcast, actually my last podcast, um, Julie Ripley talked about um two by four people, um, meaning that they kind of hit people over the head with a two by four. And I think I was one of those two by mm-hmm. four people too. And and yet this is the to me, this is sort of the topic um, that I'm finding very interesting is finding those moments and those wake-up calls. And yes, we have our missed opportunities. We all have those. We all have, but it's those that actually end up pointing us to this, what's at stake to not miss other opportunities, mm-hmm. you know? Um, but I think this is what we're about. And it seems to me like you have a ton of resilience and you know, that in and of itself, your story of your voice would be really book worthy, but that's not the book you ended up writing. That's because right. <laughs> you had another challenge um, that none of us want to have to to bring on a reason to write a book, which I have read cover to cover. I've read different parts more than once. Um, I'll read it again because of the kind of book it is. Um, but could you just say a little bit about what made you choose to write the story of losing your son when he was just 20 years old. Right, right. Yeah, the way that this began is obviously with a tragedy. And in the beginning of the book, I give readers a a real honest window into that day, what happened, Mm -hmm. you know, what we think went on and what we know and not, because some things we're, we're never going to know until we too reach the other side. But, um, you know, I after I lost my son, obviously I was utterly shattered. Um, there aren't even words for describing what that feels like because it's it's out of the natural order. I had lost aunts, uncles, I had already lost my dad. And all of that, although I didn't like it and didn't appreciate it, and I felt very, it was the natural order of the way things go. But to lose someone who is 31 years younger than myself, 
-hmm. and who is my only child in my heart. Um, that was very, very, very unexpected. And I just literally felt like I was falling into an abyss and there was no foothold. I just kept falling and falling and falling. And I would go through the motions after the funeral of, you know, writing thank you notes. And I remember my mother-in-law um, one day said to me, why are you writing those notes? Just don't do that if you don't feel like it. And I said, no, I have to do it. You know, so there's this type A me still doing what I needed to do. And mm -hmm. so I was going through the motions, but I honestly didn't want to do anything. And then there were people, well-intentioned people saying, you know, let's go to this grief group. I'll take you. Or you need to go see a psychologist or you need, need to go to counseling or you need to, you need to, you need to. That's what I kept hearing. And I felt like, you know what? I don't need to do any of that. I don't want to do any of that. I just literally focused on taking one breath at a time mm. on certain days. And, and there were these, these little voices or synchronous things that would happen that would just kind of give me strength to, you know, take another breath or put one more foot in front of another. Mm -hmm. And one day, I my phone rang. I was up in my office, and I, yeah, I really wasn't expected to go right back to work. But yet, I know that there was this expectation to come right back to work because <laughs> I was able. Because this, as you know, is a fast-paced environment that we used to work in. Yeah. But the phone rang, and it was that executive, my internal client, calling me from his big hacker buys office in New York. And he said, how are you doing, kid? And I said, you know, I'm really not doing very well. And I said, I just, I don't, I don't know what to do. Nothing, there's nothing that resonates with me right now. And he said, listen, he said, you do what you need to do. Work if you feel like working. Don't work if you don't feel like working. And I can even remember in that moment being floored to hear him say that because mm -hmm. no one at that bank says, don't work if you don't want to work. <laughs> That's exactly right. Right? Or take as much time as you need. No one says that. There's certain amounts of days that you're allotted when you're in bereavement. But, you know, I think that this was such a tragedy that people could imagine, what if that had been me? And all of a sudden, they weren't operating by the employee manual anymore. And mm -hmm. they were operating from the heart. And that took a foothold with me. And I can remember glancing over at my bookshelf and I spotted an empty journal. Mm. And I've always enjoyed writing. I've always enjoyed reading. I've always enjoyed learning. But I picked up that old journal, that old blank journal, and I thought, you know what, I'm just going to start writing. And I began writing about those angels that I would say something that just suddenly allowed me to take a breath and feel maybe a pinpoint of light enter my soul. And I began writing about the way that I felt. But maybe most 
importantly, I began writing down instances of where I was experiencing what I thought were very clear signals from Aaron, mm. letting me know that I'm not gone. You <laughs> might not be able to see me, but I am alive mm. and I'm well. And I care about you. I love you. I'm still here. And it was some of the most mind-bending instances. And it happened over and over and over. And it still happens. And Mm. on Facebook page, which is the name of the book, Nudge, it's from the other side, I began sort of my bloggy stuff and talking about even some instances that have happened recently, sharing those with people, you know, because the manuscript is now written and it's published and I'm adding on to the end of my Word document, but Mm -hmm. I'm also putting it out there for the world to um, see. But, you know, you asked what made you write the books? We're along a 13-year journey. I literally wrote in the journal, someday I need to publish this. And give this to others as a way to help them find a path of peace and hope and comfort. Mm. And that was where it all began. Something um, you said at the beginning that that I felt uh, as you were just at the beginning is, isn't it funny how the world goes on when our world stops? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you look around and it's like, well, all your coworkers were still working. You had a great client to say, take your time, as opposed to the usual message, which I often heard. I'm not sure they ever actually said this, but I often heard is, look, if you can't do it, we'll find somebody who will. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, but, but the, the thing that struck me is in the middle of that, you found a way to take a breath one at a time, take a step one at a time, somehow just keep putting one foot in front of the other when your world stopped and the rest of the world went on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I literally remember looking out the window and the sun would be shining and there would be, you know, blooms on each tree outside my window. And I'm like, how in the world is that happening when I'm in utter misery, and I just know I'm throwing off all this misery to anyone and everyone in my orbit. And I, in some strange ways, I I guess I sort of felt like, I wonder why I didn't stop the world. (laughs) (laughs) Because that was how bad and devastating it felt to me. And then literally in my own orbit, and I write about this a little bit in the book, I was infecting um, my loved ones around me. Um, my my son's dog, uh, who lived with us after after he passed, literally turned up with a lesion on the bridge of her nose. Mm, I remember um, reading that. Horses got an upper respiratory ailment, and you know they they have that old saying: "It's half the universe," and there's a reason for that. Ninety nine percent of the time are really healthy and when they're not mm-hmm. they're really not um and so i i just one of my cats turned up with 
a major, major kidney infection and ended up um, having to be euthanized. And so I was infecting people in my orbit. And what was so strange is yet everything marched on um, and the people that were outside of my immediate orbit were fine. They were laughing. They were going to dinner. They were making love. They were doing their work and everything was continuing as it is. But I was shattered. And another thing that was very poignant for me is there were those people in my life that I just knew were really going to come through for me. They were going to be there. They were going to say the right things. They were going to lift me up. And somehow, magically, I was going to be all right. And guess what? Barely one of those people that was on that list in my mm. mind, barely one of them came through. Wow. Some of them didn't even show up for the funeral. And some of them said things like, well, you know, it's got to be rough losing a child, but I think it would be even worse losing your spouse. Like, what a stupid thing to say. And then a stranger out of the blue would come through and just give me, you know, five words that I could cling to that day that lifted my spirit, allowed me to breathe, allowed me to put one foot in front of another. Wow. You never know. So what what would that stranger say that lifted you? Because I'm I'm sitting here listening with both ears because I've been through a lot of grief and I've shared grief with friends. And I've always wondered, why can't I do this any better than I do? I'd like a better playbook, if you will, yeah. to be the good friend. Yes, right. That's It's a really good question, Lynn. And I don't actually think there is a good playbook. Mm. I think the only playbook is to operate from love. Mm. And if you have no words, you can look that person in the eye and say, I just have no words, but I'm here with you. Mm. Um, if you do have something that comes in through your heart, or through your soul, or through that, you know, channel that we've all got, but we've often unlearned how to use, then go ahead and say it, even mm. if it feels weird and awkward. And you can practice it with, you know, I don't even know where this is coming from, but I'm just having this, this urge to say this to you. Mm -hmm. You know, forgive me if it's not right, but I have to tell you, I think just operating from that, that real soul and that real heart level is the best thing that we can do because, you know, we can look at the Hallmark reading cards and a lot of them are really great, really nice, but you just don't know where that person is. And so I say, listen, be there and just be honest and let whatever messages that are coming into you to come through and give them as a gift to mm -hmm. the other person. So, you know, as I'm hearing you say that, what's coming to me is it feels very vulnerable sometimes to open our heart. And yet it also, I'm hearing you say is that's where the message will come through. Mm -hmm. If it, and, and it actually in a way is a form of, um, oh, I don't want to use the word protection, but if you can trust that your heart will hear, then you can be there in the way you intend to for someone. Yeah. And I think even when we've got really tough messages 
um, for people. I think if we come at it from a place of, I care about you, I respect you, and maybe I even love you. Mm. And so this is a tough message, but I've got to share this with mm-hmm. you. And I'm doing it, you know, for really you. It's a gift at yeah. the end of the day. And it might not be like it right now. It might feel like I just punched you right in the face or in the gut. But I just want you to know that where I'm coming from is a place of care, of honesty, and wanting what's best for you. Mm-hmm. I honestly feel like if we really operate at that level, um, you know, we're, we're going to be in a good place. And, and I mean, that's what ambassadors are trained to do. And I wish we had more negotiation going on in the world today versus fighting. Because mm-hmm. um, that rarely works. You know, overpowering somebody, that only works temporarily. It doesn't change their heart. It doesn't change no. their operating model. And so if we really want change in the world, if we really want to someone I think the only way is through the heart and through authenticity mm-hmm. being vulnerable ourselves and putting ourselves out there you know it's it you you brought up the idea of ambassadors and you know fighting and so forth and I think about all the different ways if you just look across the landscape of our country and our world of people trying to fight to get their power back Mm-hmm. And just that sentence says it's not going to work because you're fighting mm-hmm. and you're trying to get something back that you never had <clears throat> because, you know, power, power is something that we have to share. And if you keep playing the leapfrog game of I'm going to get my power back and then you're going to get your power back and then I'm going to get my power back, it's just the endless, it's the endless wars. And somehow it feels like a lot of people put the word justice on it and it, it's just as maybe at a moment in time, but it doesn't work long-term. Right. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's incredibly insightful. Um, incredibly insightful. And I'm thinking to the idea of, again, what it takes to open the heart and how, ha- how do you practice keeping your heart open when it felt so broken? Yeah, um, you know, I don't think that there was a practice at all in the beginning. It was that feeling of almost like being Alice in Wonderland and never knowing when you're going to land, or where you're going to land, but just mm. being in that dark um, tunnel. And so all I did was find a few little lights. And I was, I don't even know that I was looking for them. But it's almost as if you're being suffocated and all of a sudden the vent is open and there's a breath of air that you can take. That mm. was the way that, you know, I came to live in those early dark days. You know, nowadays, 13 years since I've got the benefit of insight. And I would say, you know, it's the practices that we weave into our lives that make us um, a little bit better citizen of the world and a little bit better of a person for others and a little bit easier of a journey for our own selves. Mm-hmm. And some of those are things like I read, I'm a voracious reader, and I, I also enjoy movies. But what I never do is I never, ever fill my mind 
with things that 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 aren't edifying. Mm. So you are going to catch me watching, you know, like around Halloween in particular, there's a lot of, um, you know, movie trailers for really awful things, you know, killing people and terrifying people and hurting and maiming. Like, I, I just don't take part in things that aren't edifying because mm -hmm. I think it sullies our conscious. I think it sullies our souls. And like I heard on the news last night, Mark Zuckerberg was testifying and he said, well, you know, there's no no actual evidence that um, social media really causes people to feel bullied and to get to a point of despair where they take their own lives. But then a few minutes later, he turned around and stood up and apologized and said, you know, we're putting things in place. And so, you know, that's like talking to both sides of your mouth. And yes. He's on a, a tightrope, the name of your book. Yeah. Or subtitle of your book. But, but the fact of the matter is, is that deep down, he absolutely knows that we are impressionable beings. And so I say, look to the light and be the light in the world and don't don't taste darkness don't don't bother with it i mean i don't know why it's interesting or fun but if it is okay but dabble instead of immerse if you have to and focus on the things that are true and right that are edifying because only then can we bring about change in our own lives and that can ripple out to those around us and ultimately into the world. So accurate. And interestingly, I just realized as you were talking about Zuckerberg and I saw his apology yesterday and I saw, and not only him, but the people who are grilling him are also talking out of both sides of their mouth. Um, double, double tonguing is what I often have heard it called. Mm -hmm. The interesting thing, I was just coming back from a ski vacation and I had a private ski lesson who um the, the instructor the next day was going to be working with a Facebook muckety muck. It wasn't Mark Zuckerberg, but he wouldn't tell me who, mm -hmm. but it was one of the top, I'd say top five in the organization. And he said, guess what? Guess who doesn't have Facebook? The top executives, kids. <laughs> right. Now, is that not the evidence we need? Yeah. That oh, right. I, I mean, he's not letting his children have the product yeah. that they sell. I've often said, you know, if you're going to be in sales, you better eat your own dog food. And eat your own whatever, you know, whatever it is that you're providing, if you're not going to provide it for yourself, you know, it's been one of my things in, you know, because I do a lot of coaching and I ask people to do things like journal and meditate and all kinds of practices. I have many, 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 but nothing. I've never asked anybody to do something that I hadn't tried out myself first. Because mm -hmm. mm -hmm. it's sort of like I can't in good conscience ask you to do something that I haven't put myself through. Absolutely. Especially you know, since a lot of the stuff I ask people to do, they do feel like they're being put through something. It's like, no, this is hard. It's like, yeah, I know, but you can do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, um, and yet, of course, I'm on Facebook. You're on Facebook. You have a Facebook page for your for your book. Mm -hmm. um, but what I have noticed is I have a really high quality feed. I do not get any of the political junk. Um, 
I get ads sometimes that I don't want. And then I'll realize it's because I stopped on something. Somebody had a pretty picture and I'm like, oh, now I'm going to see it. This happened recently. Pillow ads. I saw a pretty pillow. And next thing I know, everybody's trying to sell me pillows just because I stopped. Right. Most right. just momentarily on a picture. Yeah. But yeah. for the most part, I have a pretty, what I'd call a pretty clean, pretty uplifting feed. And I enjoy it. You know, when I I get to stay in touch with friends that way if it's positive, but like you talked about, it's sort of that philosophy of garbage in garbage out. Well, that's right. And we can turn off what we don't like. And we can say, you know, I'm, I'm unfriending you or I'm deleting the post. And, you know, now that I'm promoting the book a lot on social media, um, every couple weeks, I will get someone posing at some army oh hey I love your picture and you seem so nice but you want to be my friend and I'm like are you not reading that we're talking about me losing my son and throughout the book you know I'm talking about grief and this mm -hmm. journey and stuff and obviously it's a fake and so it's not even a person I think it's a bot I think right <laughs> I think those are robots. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So the good news is we have the ability to um, filter things. And sometimes things get in that are unintended and you just have to work your way out of that. But that's kind of what I was talking about a minute ago is be selective in your library. Be selective mm -hmm. in your activities. Be selective in the people that you surround yourself with. And then help the ones, if you can, if they want it, that, you know, need a hand. Um, mm -hmm. And so I, I just say filter, filter, filter um, is a good way to go about your day. And I agree with your practices. Um, we were sharing we can we both get up and we spend one to two I spend one hour you spend a little longer than I do but yeah. I'm a routine in the morning and it's caring for the animals doing my workout and doing what I set or what I say is setting my intention for the day mm -hmm. um I have one of those monkey minds and so I have a really hard time meditating but I believe in it and the way that I sort of into it is I will be there in a meditative pose and think about the words that I'm setting for the day and mm -hmm. often words like joy and peace and awareness harmony you know things like that and the list does not go on and on but I do that and then another thing that I love to do is my sort of gratitude journal it's in my mind I don't write it mm. down but I really love to begin the day thinking about three things that were really great yesterday. And I can tell you that I never stopped three. That even mm -hmm. if I think I've had a really shitty day, I can find a half a dozen or more things that I'm actually grateful for. And there's some brain science that tells us when we operate from that platform, of what was good, what was right, what are my intentions for today? It gives our 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 brain chemicals a boost, and mm -hmm. it's like just getting a, a big warm hug or a glass of orange juice or you know your big vitamin for the day, and mm. it's just a good way to start things out. I can't tell you how many times I've had people 
do some form of a gratitude exercise. And it's literally a pivot point in their lives. Mm -hmm. Um, Whether it's a big one where I have them, you know, write a hundred things they're grateful for. And they look at me like a (laughs) hundred and, you know, they get started and find out it's actually not as hard as they think it's going to be. Or if it's a practice regularly, like you said, just three things, which we never stop at three because once you sort of exercise that muscle of seeing what's there and what you have and offering your gratitude for it, it feels good and you want to do more of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know, and another thing that comes to mind is if you've got someone that can be like your ability partner. And for me, now that my husband and I are both retired, we're like literally together all day, every day. Mm. Um, but we give each other space. And when I'm feeling grouchy, which I can, I can do that. I mean, I have, mm-hmm. even though I say, you know, it's all unicorn and sunshine and roses. The truth is, you know, sometimes I just feel grouchy. Maybe I didn't sleep well, or, you know, maybe something didn't go my way the way that I mm-hmm. thought it ought to go. And what I really like to do is I'll brood for a while, but I like to go to him and say, hey, I want to confess to you, you know, if I was grouchy this morning, there's a reason behind it. And you really didn't have anything to do with it. Or if he did, I'll say, you know, I just want to be honest with you that when this happened, this is the way it made me feel. Mm-hmm. And, blah, blah, blah. and it's really nice um, coming out with that. Because it's in a way, it's almost like vomiting a bunch of stuff that you just don't need to carry around. And he's really good about just saying, you know, okay, I noticed that and I was a little mad at you or, hey, I appreciate that and thank you and I think you're great or, you know, whatever. I mean, just about mm-hmm. junk off of someone else that's willing to be a dartboard for a little while um, can be incredibly lifting. Um, and allow you to just move beyond whatever yeah. it was. Well, talk about a transition, um, the retirement transition where two people who've had busy lives and, you know, really enjoyed connecting or connecting more passing in the night, if you will, because my husband and I were the same way. We both used to travel a lot and now we're together a lot. And that's a big transition when you're yeah. with your spouse or anybody all the time. You're going to have your moments. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And after um, I left financial services, um, I was very lucky to be able to do it when I was up on the peak. Um, I sort of really orchestrated my own role elimination. I got a great package. They treated me um, really great. It was not the institution that you and I both worked at. It was another one. But I knew the minute that I told my husband that, you know, my role has been eliminated and I'm done, uh, that he would take maybe less than five minutes to say, why don't you come into our business and work with me? And in about, you know, 30 minutes, he did. And I said, I knew you were going to ask me to do that. And I need a couple weeks to sort of tidy loose hands, but I think I'll do that. And we own a few, own home and a cemetery you know talk about leaning into your problems and yeah about that in a minute but so I went to work and we were just opening a brand new funeral home and he had a bottle of liquor furniture um hadn't figured out you know like where things were going to go or who was going to go where and so I got to do all that I did our marketing 
And then little by little, I sort of began coming in there every day because we wound up getting really busy. That led me to getting my funeral director's license and talk mm. about 180 degree. Mm -hmm. um, but it was it was just an amazing experience. But not only did I live with this man, now I worked with him every day and he and I had both decided he was going to be the boss. And so take an executive who has been 41 years in the fast track, you know, not just Fortune 500 companies, I'm talking the top 50, 50. companies, <laughs> right? And, and put that person in an environment with only five or six employees where she's going to listen to her husband be the boss. And so, boy, talk about another life lesson. That was and and I'm sorry, but also in a business that is definitely a very difficult business because your business is ushering people through the loss of a loved one. Yeah, yeah. That's a tough one. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, that one, sorry about the dogs. That's, I'm not hearing them. <laughs> okay, good. Um, the, uh, it's not for everyone. Absolutely not. But we actually loved it. And mm -hmm. so... It felt like an honor, really, and a privilege um, to help people. And one of the things that I always did is when you have someone coming in because they they lost someone, you know, we know about it. We know what time their appointment is. Oftentimes, we, we do get information about it, but we don't get a lot. And so we don't really know who we're going to be talking with, what they're dealing with, what the circumstances were. But that was the time when I loved to lean into my intuition. And I would say to our receptionist, you know, today, what you put the Enya on and put it on real softly. Or maybe I would say, I'm feeling like we need massage music or tribal or whatever. And it was so amazing that very often people would walk in, or it was a 50 song, people would walk in. Mm -hmm. I knew I was going to work with you because when I walked in, our song was playing or our mm. artist was playing. And I love the atmosphere that you've created in here. And so, you know, here again, it's it's a lesson in leading into what your whispers, I call them my whispers, whispers. Us, rather than being up in our heads and going, I need this room prepared. I need this folder. I need that folder. I need the other that. You know, mm -hmm. and people in sales can do the exact same thing. People in leadership uh, can do the exact same thing. Just take a minute and just lean in and be quiet. You never know what's going to come up. And nine times out of 10, whatever does is going to be right. Even the message that says, you need to run from this deal. You need to mm -hmm. run from this person or this circumstance yeah. or this job or whatever. Nine times out of ten or more, that is going to be right. That's a good. That's a good um, message for sure. Is listening to the whispers. And you talked about the songs. Um, you had at least one story, maybe more, in your book about certain songs coming on mm -hmm. that could only have been a message from Aaron. Yeah, yeah. Do you have a story you'd like to tell about one yeah, of those? Yeah, I thought of one right away when you said it. Um, I do like heavy or class rock and a little mm -hmm. bit of heavy metal but i never listened to ozzy osbourne mm -hmm. 
I like his wife a lot. She's yeah. Really cool. But his music just wasn't anything that I ever yeah. thought about. And so, you know, maybe it was a year or six months after Aaron passed. And, you know, there are still lots of days where I felt very gloomy, very hard. And I remember I was driving along and I talked to him a lot in my mind. Aaron, you know, I really, really am missing you today. And um, all of a sudden I'm listening to classic rock and it must have been an odd hour because what I've noticed is only late at night do they delve into the heavy stuff <laughs> or the deeper cuts. Otherwise, yeah. you know, it, it's just going to be something nice that many of us know and, you know, we can sing along to. All of a sudden Ozzy Osbourne comes on and the song is Mama, I'm Coming Home. Whoa. And I was just like blown away because at that time, and I talk a little bit about this in that book, and the book is I actually had this inane belief that I could somehow bring Aaron back, like literally bring him back mm-hmm. and talk about cognitive dissonance because there's this rational part of my brain over here you know, on the left. And then there's this right brain idea that somehow I could get him back. Well, you and brought him here the first time. So surely I can do it again, right? <laughs> yeah, some way or another. And, you know, I, it's hard now for me to articulate what that really meant to me, but I sure was doing my darndest. And I'm, I'm grateful that I journaled, even the, you know, sort of not so lucid things that I was thinking about. Mm-hmm. Um, because otherwise, I really would not have remembered them at all. In fact, when I was writing the book, I would come across things and go, I wouldn't have ever remembered that story. And I'm so glad I wrote that down because that really did happen by George. And I'm glad to have that reminder that it wasn't just some wild imaginings. But yeah, a lot of music uh, came my way and let me know that, yeah, um, that couldn't have been a coincidence. Mm-hmm. And there was one just the other day that I'd love to share. Yeah. It was uh, my husband and I, his name's Dan, and um, I love to watch Jeopardy at night. So oh, I, I do too. Early. I love Jeopardy. <laughs> so I told you earlier, I really don't like 99% of television. It's like that's so really subjective about what I watch and what I imbibe in it. So I, I was going to watch Jeopardy and he said, it just every night it's too much for me. He said, I'm going to go out and go in the hot tub for what? I'm run. telling you that happens exactly at my house. We have a hot tub and my husband doesn't want to watch Jeopardy. So he's like, I'm going to go to the hot tub while you watch Jeopardy. Okay. Fine. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so, uh, about 40 minutes later, I realized that he hadn't come in. So I poked my head out and I said, are you all right? The water's got to be getting really cold by now. And he said, you know, I am all right. I'm just sitting up here looking at the stars. And I was talking with Aaron and mom. And his mom's also gone. And mm. I said, well, what specifically were you talking about? And he said, you know, I was just saying to them that I'd really like to hear from them and I'd like them to talk to me. They always talk to you, but I'd really like them to talk to me. Mm. And I said, well, just watch and be open. And that's really nice. I think that you're doing that. 
And I said, I'm going to go to bed and read now. And he said, all right, I'll be in in a minute. Well, he came in in a minute and he was like, you know, I'm not tired yet. And I don't feel like reading. I'm going to go watch one of my programs in the living room while you read. I said, all right, that sounds great. I resume reading my book. Not two minutes later, all of a sudden, the volume on the TV is so loud that anyone a mile away should have been able to hear it. Wow. And I hear one sentence and one sentence only. And it was, little Aaron will not stop talking. Wait, and the TV said that. The TV boomed out, little Aaron will not stop talking. Now, remember, my husband had just said, Aaron, I want you to talk to me. And I'm yelling from the bedroom, Dan, Dan, come here, come here. I don't know why I didn't get up. And he goes, I'm sorry, Mayor. I wasn't even holding the controller. I don't know why the volume went up like that. I said, come here right now. And he's in and he's like, I'm sorry. And I said, didn't you hear what was said? And he said, no. And I told him, and he goes, oh, my God. And I'm like, yeah, that was for you. You asked. Now, how, I mean, how could you expect anything any greater than two minutes later to be shouted at? Yeah. Right for the dog barking. Shut this door. All right. Sorry about that. I was on a podcast a couple weeks ago, and the guy said to me, You know, if your dogs bark or if you sneeze, don't worry about it because we listen for that they like that, that it makes it seem Uh real and everything. I'm like, Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and it does happen. My dog, I I have, um, when we built our house, we had the original house, which we now call our guest house. And then we built a house, a, a full house to go with it. My dog is in the other house because she's an 18 month old puppy. Oh. And if she's not with me, she's going to scream and cry and yeah. beg to be with me. And if she is with me, sometimes it's just a hard to hold a good long conversation without some kind of interruption, you know, eating a roll of toilet paper. <laughs> uh, the last thing she took down was my um, iPod or, or my Air, AirPods. Um, she ate the case or t- chopped on the case for that. Just having a puppy. So yeah, right, right, I'm gonna, yeah, but this is real life. So, and everybody that has dogs completely understands, <laughs> but what a story. I can't believe in that short amount of time that showed up on his show. Right. But loud enough for you to hear, because I'm guessing if y'all are like we are, and I sometimes go read while he's watching TV or vice versa, we try to, you know, we try to be respectful of the volume. Right, right. And that was what it was all about. He's like, number one, if the controller wasn't even in my hand. Yeah. And number two, I, I'm so sorry. I'm doing everything. <laughs> get the volume down and I'm like Stop. it's not you <laughs> did you hear that <laughs> yeah you know I actually keep a note on my phone I call it God winks mm-hmm. um and on our podcast my podcast with Anna 20 who is a phenomenal animal communicator and has really taught me a lot about learning how to pay attention to signals and recognizing the things that we thought were not anything are actually signals mm-hmm. we talked about she calls them God winks as well we I have a note in my phone that I keep um, 
of these different moments so that I don't lose track. Because I'm like you, if you didn't journal your stories, first of all, your book would be very different because you wouldn't have had those journal entries to include in your book. But more importantly, you wouldn't have had the track record or the history because those are like drips in a way. And one of the analogies I often use about things we think of are small is like, well, you think a drip of water is small, but put a bucket under the faucet, leave mm-hmm. and come back in a couple of hours and you will have a gallon of water. Right. Right. And it looks like it's nothing because it was one drip at a time. But in a mm-hmm. way, your story, because you captured it, makes me feel like you chose to have not just a gallon of water, but like a, a whole lake of mm-hmm. memories of your son. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I'm like I said, I'm glad I wrote it down. And I'm glad that I was led to do the journaling, which really made made me lean into the journey. And you know, I recently wrote, and I think it's on on the Facebook page, that a lot of people want to curl up in ball, and a lot of people do want to go to a grief group, do want to go to a counselor. And I always say, do what feels right to you. If you're going to have any time in your life that anyone else is going to give you a license to do what you want to do, it's in a situation where you are really, you know, bereaved to the, the ultimate extent. And for me, um, I guess it just meant leaning into the journey because I guess I had to know I had to explore it. I didn't want to run from it. It didn't feel right for me. Mm-hmm. And so ultimately what became of it is what I consider to be mine and Aaron's gift to others to give them that comfort, that hope and that peace. Um, because I've had people literally from the United Kingdom, uh, Africa, New Zealand, and all over the U.S. to me, you know, I cried, but I laughed, I mm. smiled, and I have decided I'm making some life changes. And 99% of them have absolutely nothing to do with grieving. You know, I've mm. had people say, I'm going to be more vulnerable. I'm going to be mm. less apologetic. I'm going to change my career and do something I've always wanted to do. Now, did I give that specific advice? No. But within the book's covers, my words, those experiences, and the collection of beautiful words that came to me in my journey at the right time were a spark or light um, for others' journeys. And that's the best that I could have ever for um, with this work. That is the that is truly the gift of your work. I was going to ask you that very question. How has it, how have you known about ways it has impacted others? Because I read it and so it was such a, it is such a vulnerable, hopeful piece. And I believe that's the part that a lot of people might miss. And it actually, at first I was a little nervous to read your book mm-hmm. um, because I knew it was going to be sad. Yeah. And I cry when I read sad things and it's like, okay, I got to pick times when I can cry. Um, but, but it, I, I really, what really struck me was your willingness to enter 
the journey warts and all knowing that it was not going there was no there was no rainbows and butterflies here um but you're you were choosing to enter it either way and with and with an open heart and i believe that your story has to have touched a lot of people yeah and um you know really uh hope is that it will continue to do that and that as more people learn about it, I've, I've been told that a lot of people have gifted the book to others. I'm sure. And in fact, I've been asked, you know, how do I know when it's right to give it to them? And my answer is there's no way for you to know. But what there is a way for you to do is to, with only good intention, and I know you talk a lot about good intention, mm -hmm. is go ahead and gift it and say, read this if and when you feel led to open it up because it may just help your journey you may find some comfort and peace and hope um mm -hmm. and that way you're allowing the, the 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 recipient to make those decisions and you're just giving from the heart and i've had books that have sat on for many years and all of a sudden I got led to read them. Recently someone gifted me a book and I was a little disappointed because I've read it before, but I don't mm. know why. I, I committed to I said, but I'm gonna look at it again. I opened it up and man, that book transported me and it was the right time. And so just you know include that little message. This is for if and when. You know, a lot of the books that are on my bookshelf fit that exact category. Sometimes I, I'll go a few years before I read them. Or I recall one in, in a particular case, very similar to yours, where I heard about this book on a podcast. And so I bought it and I read it. And then I actually found it in my stack of books that I'd moved. Um, I put some good readings in the place where my coaching clients come stay when they come do a retreat with me. And I looked down and I said, oh my gosh, I had this book and had already read it. But the second reading was different than the first because right. we change. Yes, yes. And so you're exactly right. Um, I'm curious, do you have the book available for your people that come through your funeral home? Is it something that you offer yeah. to them? Yes, so it is out there. And I've got some little bookmarks that if people want to grab a bookmark and order the book, they can do that. But uh, Dan and I actually sold the funeral home in oh. the June of last year. Oh, okay. I enough to friends and colleagues of mine that were both at the bank you and I worked at and the really? financial institution I most recently left. And they too decided that they wanted to get involved in this business and um, boy, talk about the universe working. That could fill up another podcast, um, the way that that all worked out. But yes, they do have the book available there. And, you know, if anyone feels led to order it, they can do so. But That's they're not great. actively set. Yeah, well, that's very different, um, especially if it's not yours. You know, it's not your your funeral home anymore. I mm -hmm. hadn't. I I don't know how I missed that, but I didn't realize you all were no longer. So you're truly fully retired now, right? And so I spent the first um, nine, no, ten months of my retirement uh, writing the book, learning about publishing, um, 
loosening a publisher and then getting it launched. And then after that, working on my launch plan, because of course there's no gal or guy that left corporate America that wouldn't have planned for, all right, once it's out there now, what am I going to do? <laughs> I have a written, you know, approach and a plan that I'm working on. Yeah. I had a friend of mine yesterday that um, is an aficionado of my book and she's a great supporter. I said, when this isn't fun anymore, I'm just not going to do it. But I still feel like it's got a lot of runway to reach the heart minds people yeah. that need it and so I'm still in there batting every single day yeah that's this is the thing about writing a book um to me the tightrope that we walk as authors who want to market and sell a book is how to reach the people we wrote it for yeah. because we know it has something to offer them <laughs> without getting caught up in the need to have book sales right? to think nobody wants to hear what we have to say. Those two things are like almost two ends of a continuum. And the tightrope is there are people that need your book and your job is to make sure that they find your book because it has something to offer them. Yes. Yes. And, you know, there we go with that <clears throat> negative mind <laughs> that I think we learn. I don't think we come into our lives uh, possessing that negative mind chatter. But, and you talk about this a little bit in your book. I do. We learn it from others that when they say, well, your drawing is bad or they laugh at you or something you did, then all of a sudden we learn how to be embarrassed and inauthentic and all of this stuff and all of a sudden we're so full of garbage all over us that it's hard to find that that real golden nugget that is us that we possessed when we came into this world mm -hmm. it is there but we have to unlearn a lot of the things that we learn in order to get back at it. And we can keep the beautiful things that we learn, but just kind of unlearning those negative voices. And I removed one of those obstacles almost right out of the gates with the book because I too was like, I feel if when I'm promoting this book that people are going to think it's just, you know, money, money, money. And so I said, well, I'm just going to give away all the book proceeds because I can think of a lot of worthy charities that would be really happy to have, you know, some money from me and Aaron. Mm. And then, um, you know, I did my vision board and I set my intention for, you know, how this was going to go. And I, I said, I'm going to have fun with it. I'm going to do it with an open hand and open heart and an open mind and so I had to learn how to be all right with rejection because that does happen mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, but there's fewer that rejected than say thank you and so when it's a rejection uh, I just you know sweep it in away and say not now because um, mm -hmm. I know you're probably familiar with the disc models so I'm just I uh, am raging D, everything is below the line <laughs> other than D. And so no means maybe, and maybe uh -huh. yes, and yes, yep. yes. And so. <laughs>
right? Yeah. Use the tools that you're given. <laughs> It's, I love, I was just talking to somebody the other day about the disc model. Um, I really do like the disc model and you should just for those listening who don't know, at least give the four letter, you know, what the four letters of the disc mean. So people can get a feel like it's not Myers-Briggs. It's a different way of assessing our personalities, okay. but the D stands for a dominant personality. If I'm yes. correct. And then remind me what the I um, stands well, for. Well, I don't remember what the word for it is right now, but it's like the, the golden retriever person who's like, hey, I love everyone. You know, in an insights model, it would be the sunshiny yellow, the yeah. one, you know, the people oriented. And then the S is people oriented, but they're the sensitive one that they would never dream of hurting your feelings. And they might tell you one thing, tell me another thing. And in their hearts, they're both right, but they're 180 degrees opposite, but they're doing it because they don't want to hurt our feelings. And yeah. then is the really cautious, you know, the accountant who gets like every number right and every letter has to be right. And unless everything is right, we're not moving forward. Mm -hmm. Remember where we used to work, we would go with the 90% solution. So that, that corporate Venus only fed into my personal Venus. Oh, yeah. And I crawled around there like, I love this little lion's den that I'm working in. Yeah. Well, that, that I was a high D and a high I, um, I I've looked it up now. It's dominance, influence, steadiness, and conscientiousness mm -hmm. are their words. And you did a beautiful job of describing them. And the thing about, by the way, if you get a disc profile is they do like a narrative and it's like reading back your life. Like those things are so <laughs> friggin' accurate. It's like Lynn does this and Lynn does that. And it's like, ha has somebody been over my shoulder and watching yeah. how I work? Cause this is a right. little freaky. It's that accurate. But, um, yeah, having a plan, um, getting things done. It's interesting because I made a very deliberate choice. I looked at, you know, how to do a book launch and, you know, even a book tour and had the opportunity to, with help, because I self-published, so I didn't have a publisher behind me. So, you know, what would it look like to really get out and put this book out? And I'm very interested in being on podcasts, but not interested in traveling to be on TV shows, even if it was to go to New York or whatever, because it's like, that is not, I started looking at what my calendar would look like. And I was like, oh no, that's not the life I want. Yeah. Yeah. I don't want to be on airplanes, especially have to do an entire day or two day trip for three minutes on TV mm -hmm. because that's not where I am right now. And I'm not trying to sell that many books. I just want the right people to get it in their hands. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And honestly, I don't think there's that many people. I mean, I'm sure there's some that are watching TV that need to have my book, but I'm better with corporate groups and I have had a lot of people buy the book for whole teams. Yeah. It's like, that's the way it needs to go for me. Yeah. There you go. So anyway. Um, yeah. So back to your um, plan. So you did a vision board. Was it for this or was it for your life? What was the, like, what was your intention uh, it, for your vision? This board? one is very specific for the book. And um, I added something to it just this morning and I would like to read it to you if you don't mind. Yeah, please. But, you know, it, it really keys into where we began and maybe a sort of a good place, you know, to bring bring our conversation now. And it is um with the power of the universe at our fingertips, let us move forward with courage and grace. 
knowing that we are supported by forces seen and unseen. Mm. May this moment be filled with blessings, miracles, and moments of profound connection. Did you write that? No, I did not. That's you know, beautiful. Part of that is somebody that gave me permission to do some extensive quoting in my book. And it's a woman named Rosemary Altia. Mm-hmm. And she wrote the book, The Eagle and the Rose. It's on the recommended list at the back mm-hmm. of the book. Yeah. And I get an occasional newsletter from her. And, you know, I opened that up this morning and I was like, well, 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 now doesn't that resonate? And so that went <laughs> right into the center of this vision board. But yeah, the vision board is really just for the book. So yeah. I've done live vision boards and I do mini ones. This is my wishing vision box. Your oh, I love it. You're going to be able to see it. But in there, um, I write down things that... Uh, my intentions and and some of these are old like I'm looking at one from 2021 and one of the first things I'm reading is it says retirement okay Mm. boom we can check that off the list because that happened happened. it's really neat to do things like that you can even put little pictures in there and I'm just a believer that if we do set our intentions um and and back and watch the universe go to work we we might just be really delighted by what happens. I believe that so incredibly and have, you know, I began running vision board workshops in 2016. And I now mostly don't run them for the public. I only run them and when I'm and I say run them, I only in, include them when I'm doing usually a retreat with people. Um, because I like to wrap other things around, especially that word you used courage and grace. And I believe we are born with courage and that stuff you talked about, the negative chatter, the interference, the stuff that gets put on us. I think it hides our courage from us sometimes. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times people will say they want more confidence. And I say, well, you have to start with courage mm-hmm. um, because courage, you have to act not necessarily knowing the outcome, but you've got to move anyway, which to me is the epitome of your journey. You had no idea how you were going to move through this. But, you know, I am so, um, I so believe that if we will give ourselves, and I don't, it doesn't have to be a vision board per se. That's a, that's a form factor. But if we give ourselves the ability to create our lives, if we say to ourselves, I can set direction, I have the right to put down my intentions, like you put in your box about retirement or, you know, I've even had a vision board thing happen where I got exactly the boat that was on the picture of the vision board. Um, I have, I, I, from what I can tell, everyone I've taken through the process finds that their vision comes out almost precisely as they expected and often sooner than they ever dreamed it could. Yeah. And it's not because it's some kind of magic formula. It's that having that courage to ask and to believe and to listen and to notice the help we're getting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, recently um, people reach out to me all the time. And a lot of times it's through social media. Maybe it's an I am, or even maybe it's a response to something that I've 
And I've had people say, I love that you get those nudges and those just really visceral reminders that Aaron is still around and all of that. But, you know, I lost so-and-so and it's been X number of months or years. And when will I see the signs? And you can just almost feel the pain in their words. And what I always say is just, you know what, just ask, because I almost feel like they probably are already letting you know that they're there, but your mind might be saying, you know, I'm going to let that be buried, or I'm just going to discount that. That's not really for me, or that doesn't mean anything, or I'm being fantastical by thinking it. Just Mm -hmm. rest, be open. But moreover, ask, because they can hear you. And I also believe we all have guides um, mm-hmm. on the other side. And, you know, every major religion has in some form of passion that belief. You know, I was raised as Catholic and told that I have a guardian angel. And as mm-hmm. I delved into many other religions and looked at them, you know, because I'm, I'm a truth seeker and I like to know things. I like to understand things and I like to understand other people's perspectives. But I believe that we do have guardian angels or spirit guides. And so there's nothing wrong with communicating with them either. And saying, mm-hmm. today I'm feeling like this, or I sure could use your help with that. And then just rest with it, but be mm-hmm. prepared to be open-handed too, because, you know, sometimes we don't get what we want in an instant. Sometimes we don't get what we think we want because it isn't the right thing for us. So two positive things. There we go. Yes. Back around to that. And, you know, uh, sometimes you have it and don't even realize you have it. Mm-hmm. You know, that's, there's so many ways. And I, I have no question about having, um, guides, guardian angels. I have things happen where it's like something almost moved me out of the way of harm's way mm-hmm. at times or something along those lines. Yeah. And, you know, I occasionally have even felt like they were wrapping me in their arms almost. I could almost feel right. the hug. Yeah. Yeah. So I had um, a very visceral one years ago. And um, gosh, I hope my ex husband never listens to this, but. When I met him, um, you know, there was something deep in my soul that said, this is really not the right one for you. But up here in my head, I was like, well, you know, he fits the picture that I wanted. And his words are telling me that he's, you know, everything that I was looking for. But almost immediately, I began having these really weird nightmares when Mm. he was sleeping with me and they continued throughout our marriage Mm. and they were always of these like really awful looking beasts Mm. and I remember the very first time that I spent the night with him and having one of those dreams and waking up from it 100% knowing it emanated from him not that he was like um satanic but that he was wrong for me, there mm-hmm. was a barrier that was, you know, attempting to be put up, but I ignored it. And through our tumultuous 13-year marriage, this continued to happen. 
And on our 13th anniversary, we went to the mountains um, visiting a mutual friend of ours, Kathy Woods, mutual yeah. Janine. And she's she's Kathy's been on this podcast. Yes. And so I was staying with the mutual friend Janine, who I write about in the book, who is uh herself over recently, but I was staying with her. And that night I remember waking up from this dream where I was seeing like an Indian in one of those real long war suits with mm. the fringes and the headdress. And this Indian was like literally flying in the room right above my face. And when I woke up, I could still see it with my eyes open and my awareness, you know, coming into the present. And I just remember being out of breath and waking my husband up and telling him about it. And he's like, it's just a dream. Go back to sleep. Well, literally days later, I found out that he was involved in something that ultimately just finally broke our marriage apart. Mm. And um, later on in talking with someone and sharing that experience with them, this woman said, that was your spirit guide. Mm. And they have been trying to protect you all these years, but you wouldn't listen. Boy, what a wake up call. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Wow. I mean, if there's anything that people should be taking away from this conversation, it is start paying attention to the things that you might be getting whispers, Mm -hmm. like listen for the whispers is sort of what I'm picking up is because, and note, and notice the coincidences, like don't just write them off, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, not unlike you're, you're reaching out for me. It was not a coincidence that you reached out to me at exactly the right moment. Yeah. For us to have this conversation. Yeah. And you know what, Lynn, I hadn't really even been thinking about it for long. I wasn't thinking like, I wonder why she hasn't reached out to me. It was just in the moment I went, Oh, I have just been booked for one in March and I kind of like to do one a month and I've done, you know, three or four others and mm-hmm. I've got this opening in February and you said, well, what about February 1st? I just needed a spot and yeah, it was very, very serendipitous and synchronous and everything. Yeah. But, um, if I may, I just want to go back for a second. Yeah. I would imagine that a lot of your listeners are corporate individuals and they live in a very fast paced, very black world that demands metrics and it demands, mm-hmm. um, you know, proven performance or you aren't going to be around for long. But what I will say is that what I've seen over the years is that these major corporations are more and more and more open to kind of tilting their head and going, well, wait a minute, there is more to this than just the black and white. Mm-hmm. And I ran some executive ed programs at Wharton at University of Pennsylvania. We would bring in some amazing um, speakers who like literally would have us lie on the floor learn how to meditate and learn how to get out of our head space and into our heart space. Mm-hmm. And then the next day, you know, we might be talking about alcohol for your portfolio or, you know, creating, you know, a socially conscious portfolio. Um, and so what I'm seeing is 
I think that these things live side by side. And in fact, if we open ourselves up to the unseen and lean a little bit more into our intuition, our vulnerability, and our authenticity, I think that can carry us to, you know, a ledge that we haven't been able to jump up on uh, previously with all our metrics and, you know, our suits and our pumps or our wingtips. <laughs> you know... So, you, uh, I have found the same loosening of the grip, if you will, in my work over the years, because I still work with companies and people in the corporate world. And one of the things that I've many times asked my clients, whether it's in a retreat or in one-on-one is, you know, how important are relationships, decisions, and creativity to your success? And I've yet to meet somebody that didn't have all three of those things being well north of 50%. And relationships, good ones, require connection. And connection requires operating from the heart. You know, our decisions, we often want to be able to follow our gut. What you're talking about is a refined ability to follow your gut. Because if you're paying attention to the unseen in a way that's sort of calibrated to understand what's really there, you're not, you don't have to worry about operating out of fear because you've calibrated your gut to be a good read, not a fearful read. And decisions, almost all of us need good gut reactions for our decisions. Mm -hmm. And of course, in creativity, we need to be able to think of things that hadn't been thought of before and connect dots that hadn't been connected before. Right. Yeah. So, you know, you're, you just, you and I are kind of making the business case for opening our eyes to not just the left brain world, but the right brain world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and letting people know, I mean, I think of examples, which I think can be a very difficult job for a lot of people, mm. um, unless you're doing what you love. And so that's when it becomes, wait a second, I'm in here helping you, doing you a major favor. And I'd say first and foremost, it's really important to operate from that that space of, you know, you eat what you cook or mm-hmm. you it a little differently earlier. But if you really don't believe in what you're selling and what you're doing, I would suggest you begin exploring a way to, get aligned with something where, you know, you feel like honored and and really charged up about helping someone uh, to do whatever it is that you're selling or offering or doing. Um, and then go in with kind of that open um, feeling about it, which is, you know, look, if this is not aligned or this isn't what you want, I'm good with that. In fact, the funeral home, when we were doing needs, which is arranging your end of life um, services and arrangements before you ever need them, which I highly recommend everyone do because you're thinking you're not operating from emotion where a provider can take advantage of you, which is what we hated. Oh, yeah. Why we went into the business because we knew what it was like to be on that other side of the desk and to be emotional and vulnerable. 
And I'm not saying anyone took advantage of us, but we do know that it's rampant in a lot of industries. Oh, yeah. But, but to go into that, you know, kind of a conversation with, it's all right if you don't do business with me. Like, I didn't have people who would walk in and say, hey, no, I'm not going to buy anything today. I'm here to learn. I would say, I am so glad that you're here to learn. I'm you um, mm-hmm. do this the way you want to do it. And whether you do it with me or you walk out the street and do it, you know, a mile down the road, I don't care. I just want you to do it because I know it's going to help you and your heirs in the long run. And so if we can operate from, you know, kind of that open hand, open heart, open mind, and just be really honest with folks, we will do business in spades because I, I don't even remember anyone who made that proclamation when they sat down. I would close my folder and say, so we've mapped out everything that you want. Now you know what the prices are. And if you'd like, I'll give you all this paperwork and you can go home now and think about it. Mm-hmm. And then you can call me when you want to come back, if you want to come back. And I think every single person said, well, I don't know why I wouldn't just do this right now. <laughs> I would say, I actually don't either, but I want to honor what you said when you came in. There's no reason not to, and there's no downside for you doing it now. In fact, there's an upside. You don't have to book another appointment and come back. And so, boom. That's amazing. Know. That's amazing. I was just thinking, I would love to be sitting across from you in a conversation like that because you just feel like you're in the hands of someone who cares and isn't trying to take advantage and isn't trying to screw you. And I think we spend a lot of time and I have a particular hot button about feeling like I'm being taken advantage of. I don't do well when I feel like somebody's Mm -hmm. trying to take advantage of me. Yeah. Yeah. He would not. (laughs) I'm sorry. I said a D on the disc. Oh, a D. No, a D on the disc would not. Exactly. A lot of options. And, and, you know, so, Anyway, we could talk about sales maybe another day. All day long, right? But that's <laughs> another that's another one of those things where people are asked, you know, to show up, especially if you have a sales job. I have a couple of clients who have big sales jobs. And what I have found is that their ability to sort of read into what their clients need, and it's often through hints, not through direct requests. Like mm-hmm. to me, the best salespeople are the ones who are very good at reading between the lines and truly understanding what their clients are up against and offering what it is that they really need, not necessarily what they specifically know they need, if that makes sense. Well, that's right. And and you know what? Even for people that really aren't very good at reading between the lines, there's another uh, method, and that is just to ask questions. Sure. And, you know, again, over at the funeral home, um, people don't realize, but there are myriad of options for end-of-life planning to the thinnest, most simple, inexpensive, to the most elaborate thing that you can imagine. You can have your remains shot up in space. You wow. can have, you know, a gigantic mausoleum and blah, 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 have your family buried with you. But what I always say is just begin by getting to know people and ask mm-hmm. questions and do it from a it's of sincerity. I really want to get to know you. There's mm-hmm. a lot of options. What were you thinking? That's what really, 
where's your mind right now? And yeah. then once they began taking me down a path, then I can open up all the doors on that path. Mm-hmm. If they go down a different one, there's a whole set of different doors down there. And at the end of the day, you choose the things you want and then I'll put it together for you. You get what you want. We can make changes later if you change your mind. Mm. That's beautiful. Yeah. Everybody wants that. <laughs> Everybody wants that. Well, I have I would I would love to hear as we come to a close, what what you would say to someone who is in grief. And I I know the long the longer I've lived on this earth, I think one of the trade-offs, frankly, for living longer is you're gonna have more grief. Yeah. Not always necessarily through losing a child as you did, but yeah. but some people have lost children. Yes. Um, but also just sort of one of the honors of staying on this plane longer is that we are going to lose people. Yeah. How, how would you guide someone as they enter this part of their lives of knowing grief is going to be a normal part of it? What do mm-hmm. you say to them? Well, I think it's different if someone is already engulfed in grief versus people who, you know, sort of are vaguely aware, but really haven't thought a lot about the fact that, Mm -hmm. you know, you will experience a significant grief in your lifetime. It would be rare to ever encounter a human that did not. Correct, Um, yeah. or maybe they were just lucky to be the last or the, the one that died first. I don't know. But but most people are going to experience grief. And I guess what I would say is that, you know, in our country, we don't do really any preparation. We want to sort of brush off and act as if we're, you know, we're not vulnerable to ailments and you know, it's never going to happen to us. And so I would say, first of all, for those folks, um, it is an inevitability. And I, I might even suggest, you know, doing some research and reading a book. Maybe it's mine. Maybe it's Kubler mm-hmm. Ross's Life After Death. I don't recommend the five stages of dying. I I like it. It's good work. But um, Kubler Ross's magnum opus, as far as I'm concerned, is a very short essay book uh, written by her called Life After Death. At least I think that's mm. it's called. You can find it, even with the, if uh, not 100% right. But it's just her authentic writings about her work that she did when she was in hospice and the most mm. amazing things that happened. I, Absolutely, highly recommend that book. And so, and so, could you say that book again? I'm not sure I caught the whole life after death by Elizabeth Kubler Ross. Elizabeth Kubler Ross is quite um, good. Yeah, yeah. For putting forward the five stages of, of grief and death and dying, and and that's good work. But I would say focus on this little essay. Okay, um, do that. And so get to get familiar with it because I'm telling you, it's it's going to happen to you someone that you love will die before you and you will be faced with something that you haven't thought about Mm -hmm. Um, that's the reality of life on her but to somebody who is grieving you know i'm going to go back to what we said a while back which is just be authentic 
And if you don't have words, you know, you can walk up and sit and just look them in the eye and say, I just have no words for what you're going through right now. Mm. I want you to know I'm here and I'm supporting you with my heart and my soul. But mm. if you do have words, you know, if you say, I had a beautiful experience with your, you know, your mom and this is what happened. You know, just sharing experience can lighten someone's heart. Oh, yeah. I loved it. I loved it when my mom and my dad, my dad was the most recent to pass and it was four years ago this month. That's hard to believe. Um, But when somebody would come with a great memory, you know, or I I loved how your dad always fill in the Mm -hmm. blank, you know, it just Mm -hmm. meant the world because it, in a way, you know, our, our loved ones not only live on, on the other side, but they do live on in our memories and our hearts. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. That's right. You know, give them, uh, to feel the way they feel, you know, it's all right. Okay. I would run up to my office every single morning for probably a year after losing Aaron. And the first thing I did was have an all outside fest. And I never told anybody that I did that. But mm. when it was over, I really did feel like I was washed, sort of clean. And I could take a deep breath and maybe look outside and go, all right, so I'm just going to pick up this burden and move on with my day. Mm. So that, that what I did just sort of lightened the burden just a tiny bit um, for the day. And that I can carry what's left and keep moving on. One of the things that strikes me that you did, did and do very well is recognize that you don't have to gulp it all at once, but that it's a it's a step-by-step, moment-by-moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. That's right. It is. And the other thing is, one day I suddenly realized that I smiled. And I think it was because the sun was shining that morning. Mm. And it it dawned on me, and I guess maybe a little bit introspective, but it dawned on me that I felt just a ray of sunshine that day in my heart. And I began sort of allowing those things uh, come in. I don't know that I was actively looking for them, but I do know that when they struck me, I would say, well, I'm going to take that little ray of sunshine and realize that, yeah, the rest of the world is still turning. Somebody's having maybe the time of their lives right now while I'm being tortured, you know, with grief or whatever. Mm-hmm. And we can do that with illness, with anxiety. Um, there's just those little bright spots. Yeah. That my, my experience going through the grief I've gone through is that the only way out was through and I couldn't hide it. Stuff it. I tried. I did a lot of things to try, mm-hmm. but, but those, those little moments of finally letting the sun shine in or, not feeling like the world had to stop for me, although I really felt like it did. Um, but just to recognize that this, this is something I'm moving through right. gave me a tremendous amount of strength to say, this is what grief feels like. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It also reminds me when you said that of journey we often will go what we say over the mountain and go into Tennessee mm-hmm. and you're familiar with North 
I know when you're on I 40, there can be some really ugly parts where you're bumping a bumper, you know, yeah. or trash bill, or there's just like a smokestack belching out, you know, something ugly. But then all of a sudden, you'll be in what I think is the height of the Appalachians, and there's nothing surrounding you but trees. Maybe you'll even get a glimpse of a little roadside waterfall. And I think that life is like that, a journey mm. where, you know, sometimes it's downright ugly and uncomfortable. And other times it's just gloriously breathtaking. And that's yeah. just um, life on earth. And, you know, I think we're all here on a soul journey um, to be the best soul that we can be in this life. And, you know, make that an additive to whatever else happens after this life, whether yeah. it be, you know, we reincarnate, whether it be we stay where we go or whatever. I, you know, who knows? We have no empirical proof. We, we don't. And it is what it is. Our belief does not make it so. Yeah, right. That's right. And it will be what it will be. <laughs> yeah. That's exactly right. Well, so how do people find you? I know you said you have a Facebook page, but give me all the details on yeah, how people so, can get in touch with you. Yeah, thank you. I do have a website and it's Mary Kennedy. So That's, say that, say that again, because I, I got it's a little my cut name, Mary Kennedy. Mary Kennedy Sullivan. Dot com. And I do okay. have a between my my name's Sarah and we will um, have this in the show notes so that people can find you easily yeah, so they can go yeah. straight to the link. Yep. And then um, I do have a Facebook page, Nudges from the Other Side. Nudges from the Other Side. Okay. Yep. Yeah. And um, I would say those are the main places. Yeah. When it can, when you want to buy the book, it's available from all major booksellers worldwide online. It's in both digital and print, and the hardbound version just became available. I have not even seen it yet. The, which version came to uh, Oh, that you actually have a hardcover version. Very yes. beautiful. Yeah, lovely, lovely. Well, it's fabulous hearing what you've. Um, been willing to share and I've been listening with both ears and I know our guests or our, our listeners are doing the same thing. So thank you so much, Mary, for being with me today. Well, thank you. It's been a very interesting conversation. It sure has been. And for those of you listening, um, be sure to share this podcast with your friends. And we talked about vision boards in this workshop. So I'm going to give a shout out to a retreat that I'm doing with Christine Dixon at Mystic Waters here in Lakeville, North Carolina, May 17th through the 19th. It's called Design Your Life, a Clarity Retreat. And if you're interested in knowing more, you can go to www.momentsofwisdom.com or always see me on lynncarns.com as well. In the meantime, we will talk to you on the next podcast. Thank you for listening to the Creative Spirits Unleashed podcast. I started this podcast because I was having these great conversations and I wanted to share them with others. I'm always learning in these conversations and I wanted to share that kind of learning with you. Now what I need to hear from you is what you want more of and what you want less of. I really want these podcasts to be of value for the listeners. 
Also, if you happen to know someone who you think might love them, please share the podcast. And of course, subscribe and rate it on the different apps that you're using because that's how others will find it. Now, I hope you go and do something very fun today.